Do either of you know what is the uh, which state in the uh, union has the highest poverty rate? Mississippi. I, I know the answer to this story. All right. It's not Mississippi. Nope. It's California. Yep. Mm. Another cautionary tale on progressivism. Uh, it's not it's not Mississippi, it's not New Mexico, West Virginia. One or it's California, where nearly one out of five residents is in poverty. My God. That's according to the Census Bureau's supplemental poverty measure which factors in the cost of housing, food, utilities, clothing, uh, and includes non-cash government assistance as a form of income. Uh, it's not as though California, and, and the L.A. Times actually did this story, it's not as though California policymakers have neglected to wage war on poverty. Sacramento and local governments have spent massive amounts. Several state municipal benefit programs overlap with one another. In some cases, individuals with incomes 200% above the poverty line receive benefits. In other words, they're screwing it up because they're incompetent. Mm. California state and local governments spent nearly $958 billion Ooh. from 1992 through 2015 uh, on public welfare programs, including cash assistance, vendor payments, and other public welfare, according to the Census Bureau of California. In the late 1980s and early 1900s, some states, principally Wisconsin, Michigan, and Virginia, initiated welfare reform, as did the federal government under President Clinton and a Republican Congress. Tied together by a common thread of strong work requirements, these overhauls were a big success. Welfare roles plummeted, and millions of former aid recipients entered the labor force. The state and local bureaucracies that implemented California's anti-poverty programs resisted any pro-work reforms. In fact, California recipients of state aid receive a disproportionately large share of it in no-strings-attached uh, cash disbursements. Wow. It's as though welfare reform passed California by, leaving a dependency trap in place. Immigrants are falling into it. 55% of immigrant families in the state get some kind of benefits compared with just 30% of natives. Uh, let me cut to some further chases here. Further contributing to the poverty problem is California's housing crisis. More than 4 in 10 households spent more than 30% of their income on housing in 2015. A shortage of available units has driven prices even higher, far above income increases. And that shortage is a direct outgrowth of misguided policies. Extraordinarily liberal state, governed by uh, liberals. Counties and local governments have imposed restrictive land use regulations that drove up the price of land and dwellings, said analyst Wendell Cox. Middle-income households have been forced to accept lower standards of living, while the less fortunate have been driven into poverty by the high cost of housing. The California Environmental Quality Act, passed in 1971, is one example. It can add $1 million to the cost of completing a housing development, said Todd Williams, an Oakland attorney who chairs the Wendell, Rosenblatt, and Dean Landgruss group. Uh, the uh, Environmental Quality Act has been known to shut down entire home building projects 
and that Environmental Quality Act reform would help increase housing supply, but there's no real movement to change it. Because hmm. you got a bunch of people from the salon who have gotten elected. Extensive environmental regulations aimed at reducing carbon dioxide emissions make energy more expensive, also hurting the poor. By some estimates, California energy costs are as much as 50% higher than the national average. 50% higher than national average. <clears throat> energy expendi expenditures exceed 10% of household income. In certain California counties, the rate of energy poverty is as high as 15% of all households. A Pacific Research Institute... You know I love the census stuff. I know you do. That's, That's one of your favorite uh, uh, items to get on. A Pacific Research Institute study found that the rate could exceed 17% of median income in some areas. Uh, looking to help poor and low-income residents, California lawmakers recently passed a measure raising the minimum wage from 10 to 15 an hour by 2022. But a higher minimum wage will do nothing for the 60% of Californians who live in poverty and don't have jobs. Cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. But we here have not been careful who we voted for, nor have we managed to attract more qualified souls to actually make the sacrifice to run for office because they care about the city more than they care about being important. <clears throat> Research indicates this could cause many who do, do have jobs to lose them, meaning the higher wage. A Harvard University study found evidence that higher minimum wages increase overall exit rates for restaurants in the Bay Area. Stop right here. Director of social media has seen this firsthand. Uh, and he's uh, somewhat uh, aware of the restaurant and bar business. Isn't yep. that correct? That uh, is correct. Director of social media. Yep. And in St. Paul, what what's the first thing the new mayor wants to do? He wants to raise the... Minimum wage to fifteen bucks an hour. You will drive out. You will every, hurt businesses. Yep, you will drive it's not. Out it's not Melvin Carter's uh, business, nor Fry's, or Betsy Hodges, or any of the others from the salon to tell me as a business owner what I'm supposed to pay my people. Unreal. I either they either I either get people to work for me or I don't. And if I don't, then I don't have a business. Apparently content with feudal poverty policies, Sacramento lawmakers can turn their attention to what historian Victor Davis Hanson describes as a fixation on remaking the world. Hmm? I am shocked that this is coming from the Los Angeles Times. Well, it's as you always said, there is a there's a, there's a, a point where uh, they're going to run out of time and money, and maybe somebody's realizing this right now. What's another way to say they have a fixation on remaking the world? They're ruling from the salon. Uh. The political class wants to build a costly and needless high-speed rail system. Talks of secession from the United States, presided over by Donald Trump, hired former Attorney General Eric Holder Jr. to resist Trump's agenda. Uh... With a permanent majority in the state Senate and Assembly, a prolonged dominance in the, in the executive branch, and a weak opposition, California Democrats have long been free to indulge in their ideology while paying little or no political price. The state's poverty problem is unlikely to improve while policymakers remain unwilling to unleash the engines of economic prosperity that drove California to its golden years in the first place. Uh, part two of this is coming up 
uh, momentarily just because I think it's crucial as a cautionary tale. You'll learn more here by accident than elsewhere by design. Here's Joe Suchere. Part two, cautionary tale. The founders of New California, that's a capital N on New, and that's what they want to call themselves as a 51st state. The founders of New California took an early step towards statehood Monday, two days ago, with the reading of their own Declaration of Independence from California, a state they describe as ungovernable. Well, it's not only ungovernable, it's been so poorly government governed that it's now the highest poverty rate in the nation, highest energy costs in the nation. It's not led by, uh, it's led by Mysterians who want to remake the world, and they're failing at every turn. The solution of New California, take over most of current-day California, uh, including virtually all of the rural counties, and leave the coastal urban areas to be called California. And I saw the map, and it's quite literally a narrow band that New California said, you go ahead, you be California, you from San Francisco all the way down to San Diego, which which proves a case that we have said on Garage Logic for years and years and years. The closer you get to the country's tallest buildings, the more likely you are to be led astray by the mystery. And it's happening right before your eyes. You don't even have to take it from me. You can take it from the Los Angeles Times. This, this source I'm reading right now is uh, KSDK Television in California. The current state of California has become has become governed by a tyranny. The group, led in part by Vice Chairman Robert Paul Preston, declared in a document published online. The split would look something like this per the group. And then I have the map in front of me. Uh, it, it's incredible. It would in, it doesn't even include San Diego. It goes down to about Riverside, and it goes up to San Francisco, and uh, they they'll they'll let California keep Sacramento. The rest of the state would be New California. Unbelievable. You know what? This might happen. We don't know what's... Where are we headed? That's the theme for 2018. Yeah. Where are we headed? Are this we might headed? happen. After years of overtaxation, regulation, and monoparty politics in the state of California, and many of its 58 counties have become ungovernable, the group said in a statement, citing a decline in essential basic services including education, law enforcement, infrastructure, and health care. The group, organized with a council of county representatives and various committees, hopes to model their split after the state of West Virginia. That's according to CBS, whose Sacramento affiliate filmed the reading in a sparsely filled conference room. Claiming the authority of Article 4, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, the aspiring 51st state plans to convince California's legislature to split the state before submitting the resolution to Congress. Uh, the effort remains a long shot. It's a long shot. I'll say. A California venture capitalist named Tim Draper sought in 2014 to split California into six parts, including the state of Silicon Valley. That failed to make the ballot. New California's work with regular California state legislature won't likely start in earnest until later this year, organizers told CBS. We have to demonstrate that we can govern ourselves before we are allowed to govern, Tom Reed, a founder, told CBS. 
Wouldn't that be something? Are we one step closer to it? I would not want to live in California, having been there many, many times. Been there many times. I've never been. Uh, uh, for me, it's just simple. I couldn't stand the traffic. Mm. But I also uh, couldn't stand to be governed by Mysterians who were even more Mysterians than I'm governed by now. Right. Uh, but uh, well, what's their answer? They've ruined it. They've the 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 mystery is ruining California. When they run out of money officially, mm-hmm. then you have to bail them out as a, an American taxpayer. I don't want to do that. Well, you've already bailed out a car company or two. What's a state? I mean, that's that's where it will be headed. But their they uh, their environmental rules are strangling people. Uh, their housing uh, practices are strangling people because uh, they're all ruling from the salon. Right. And these rulings from the salon have served them so poorly that you actually have a serious movement here to secede and to say to the people in L.A. and Frisco and Sacramento and Santa Barbara and what have you, go ahead. You go ahead and be California. Keep going down the road you're going. We don't want any part of it. Now, how that can be brought about, I have no idea. Mm. <clears throat> New California, if that's what the state ended up being called, would have to demonstrate that it could be solvent in some way. And and I, God only knows what would have to take place. The development of their own uh, legislature, uh, the, the election of their own governor. Uh, yeah, they need a piece of paper to live by, the, the Constitution. The, well, they already have a Constitution. They are, No, they have a Declaration of Independence. Ah. And uh, that's about as far as they've gotten. And uh, it's a long shot that they'll ever pull this off. But years ago, I might have not only ignored the story, but poo-pooed it. And now I'm thinking, I don't blame you. When you have have, uh, utility regulations that drive up the cost of your home energy bills... 10 to 15% higher than the rest of the nation, who is to blame them? And then the people in the rural counties are saying, you big talkers are not coming through for us on education, jobs, health care. You're squandering everything. Mm. Uh, It's a bad situation. But it's a cautionary tale for every place in the country where you get closest to the tallest buildings. What's the silver lining? Are they in too deep right now to... to I don't mean the new Cali people. I just mean California in general with this poverty level. Are, are, you can't turn the Titanic around well, quickly. They did, in the first story, in, the, in part one of the cautionary tale, we learned that they seem to have no interest in correcting any of this. They keep, <laughs> they keep They keep electing the wrong people. They have no interest in this. So it's all on borrowed time before everything implodes, and once it implodes, the feds, we have to bail them out. Well, I would imagine that's what would have to be the scenario. Wow. Um, we can't afford that. Well, raising the minimum wage. They don't care. That's a Raising the minimum wage, as we've seen here, is specifically a ruling from the salon. What is Betsy Hodges doing, if not going to a spring semester at Harvard, where she will be meeting quite literally in a salon-like setting, where she, among the elite, will be gathered with others to come up with ideas based upon their own sense of virtue to think how others should live. And they don't produce the money for this. They take the money from people who produce the money. And then they create their salon uh, rulings. 
Uh, let me read one more paragraph from part one of the cautionary tale. With a perm, I've re- I'll read it. I read it, but I'll repeat it. With a permanent majority in the state Senate and Assembly, a prolonged dominance in the executive branch, and a weak opposition. California Democrats have long been free to indulge in blue state ideology while paying little or no political price. The state's poverty problem is unlikely to improve while policymakers remain unwilling to unleash the engines of economic prosperity that drove California to its golden years. They have a governor now who's a crackpot, in my estimation, Jerry Brown. Does Jerry Brown care about the homeless, the poverty rates, the energy costs? No, he's worried about uh, committing uh, the United States to uh, impossible-to-reach levels to bring down what he believes to be too much uh, carbon dioxide in the air and thus uh, uh, cure cure global warming. Mm. They're, they're in big trouble. And unfortunately, just a minute, I have to cough. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll keep California in our prayers. Unfortunately, I suppose in the long run, the rest of us will be in big trouble because you can't let, uh, you can't let, how, how much the population of California, 25, 30 million people, mm-hmm. you can't let them, uh, you can't let them not eat. No, we got to eat. Uh, we're going to be back shortly. Commencing Garage Logic segment number eight. is our custom. Yes. Jean, you go right ahead. Hi, Joe. Hi. Uh, Jean from Hibbing, class of 67. We get a lot in common. But when the Rook brought up Rocky in Philadelphia, do you remember when Rocky was made? Let's just say 1976. Do you remember what America was like in 1976? Yes. I'm an American history teacher from Hibbing High School, so anyway... What Rocky did for Philadelphia is something I wish would happen to Minnesota. All right. Are you with me, Dara, darling? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, darling. That's some good call screening, Larry. Is she going to tear up? Mark? <laughs> hey, hey, Mr. Mayor. Uh-huh. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, Alaska. I don't know about Philadelphia today. Anyway, you know, I'd let the land of fruits and nuts go. Just cut them off. A lot of people don't even realize Harley-Davidson Manufacturing, for every motorcycle they make, they have to have their own special California assembly line to meet their emission standards mm-hmm. for a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I I wonder, I, I know they have to throw a bunch of extra trinkets on a car uh, to make them feel good out there, but I just... Be careful who you vote for is the cautionary tale. Thank you. Here's John Height. Here's uh, Johnny Height. Hey. Thanks, uh, Rocky. Slide. It's sunny and 24 degrees. Vikings will play the Eagles in the NFC Championship game Sunday. I think, I'm not sure, but with Rook playing that, I guess he's going for the Eagles, it sounds like. Oh. Uh, Well, I'm talking about the game. You're playing the Rockies. Coach Mike Zimmer today said it'll be important for both teams to be able to run the ball. Well, it's important that we, that we are um, efficient in the runs. Uh, we stay away from the negative runs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm talking. About I think I think the, the team that probably runs the ball better will probably end up winning the football game. I gotta light this cigarette. That's a 5:40 start from Philadelphia. But a big, big glass of brandy, right? <laughs> Why not? Orlando with a win over the Timberwolves. 
<laughs> this is a little lonely. Orlando with a win over the Wolves, 108 to 102 last night. Jimmy Butler had 28 points and seven rebounds. Wolves lost their for the first time in six games. The Timberwolves are at Houston tomorrow evening. News notes from today. I should let you know one traffic note. Part of northbound 35W will be closed tonight. MnDOT closing the segment of freeway that leads to 5th Avenue South Grant Street and the ramp from northbound I-35W to westbound 94 from 10 o'clock tonight to 5 in the morning tomorrow. They'll close it again from 9 in the morning tomorrow until 3 in the afternoon. Why? The crews will be restriping lanes and reopening the MnPass lane from 26th Street into downtown. The carpool lane has been closed since September due to construction of the Franklin Avenue Bridge. Multiple fires broke out on the campus of St. Catherine University today, according to the school's Twitter feed. In a recent post, the school said fires have been contained in various buildings at St. Catharines. Really? Yeah, St. Kate says fire and police officials are on campus. They're trying to figure out the cause of the fires. The school says an investigation is ongoing. Via Twitter, the school urged anybody who might have information to contact the school's public safety department. Uh, the school's first post, sent at 1110 this morning, said we are aware of fires on the St. Paul campus today. We are working to identify the cause. If a fire alarm goes off in your building, immediately move to safety. There are no fire drills today. My, I must tell you one more thing. Here. You, you've already used that voice. You are now disqualified. Oh, no. Sorry. No. You used that voice. You used it. Right? Am I right, staff? I uh, have to agree with the mayor. Use Morgan. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Damn it. So he's out of the game then? Is no, he just can't use that voice. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I thought it well, might you, just I be don't care multiple players coming from the it, woods. No. no. <laughs> from the woods. I get it. A retired Twin Cities businessman who pleaded guilty to possession of child pornography in November was sentenced to one year of electronic home monitoring and five years of supervised probation, but he will not serve any jail time under terms of his sentence announced yesterday. There's also an amended stay of imposition imposed, meaning if he successfully finishes up his probation, the felony conviction could be reduced to a misdemeanor. 63-year-old Gregory Matthew Dolphin had been charged in March of last year. He had been the CEO of Dolphin Fast Food until it was sold in May of 2016. Statement from the family said he became inactive in business activities after he was diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia in July of 2016. According to the criminal complaint, Minneapolis police received a number of cyber tips from social media companies in regard to Dolphin. Those companies are required to inform authorities they discover their programs are being used to acquire or distribute child pornography. Based on those tips, search warrants were obtained for Dolphin's media services, home, and office. What uh, what was he diagnosed with, Johnny? Uh, Got a brain problem. Yeah, frontotemporal dementia. Okay. President Trump says Russia is helping North Korea get supplies and avoid international sanctions. He also says the North is closing in on being able to reach the U.S. with a long-range missile, all of that coming in an interview with Reuters News Service. The president said Russia is not helping us at all with North Korea. What China is helping us with, Russia is denting. In other words, he said Russia is making up for some of what China is doing. Several Trump administration officials have made this point in the past. In fact, that was a topic at the Vancouver summit that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson co-hosted. This is the first time, however, the president has said publicly that that is the case. Writers reported in late December that Russian tankers had supplied fuel to North Korea by transferring cargo at sea. Senator John McCain calling on President Trump to cease his persistent attacks on the press, writing in an op-ed for the Washington Post that the president's charges of fake news when he disagrees with media coverage about him is creating a negative ripple effect across the world. 
McCain writing, whether Trump knows it or not, those efforts are being closely watched by foreign leaders who already are using his words as cover as they silence and shudder one of the key pillars of democracy. His rebuke of the president uh, comes on the same day that fellow Arizona Republican Senator Jeff Flake delivered a similar approach on the Senate floor, calling for the president to end his war on the press. Both are aimed at the president's plans to give fake news awards to the news media for what he calls the most corrupt and biased coverage of him and his administration. A former Auschwitz death camp guard's final bid to avoid serving his sentence as an accessory to murder has been rejected by German prosecutors. Attorneys for 96-year-old Oskar Groning filed the appeal with prosecutors in Lunenburg, where he was convicted in 2015 as an accessory in the murder of 300,000 Jews. He was sentenced to four years in prison but hasn't yet spent any time behind bars because of the appeals process. According to Spiegel and other German media outlets, prosecutors in the city ruled against the clemency request today after consultation with a panel of judges who had convicted Groning. A doctor had previously declared, uh, declared Groning fit to go to prison as long as there is appropriate medical care. You have to wonder why he was blessed with such a long life. But uh, a train hit him when he was about 29. I think it shows free will, though. Huh? God, free will. God doesn't like plan. This guy was a Nazi guard, so I'm gonna. You know, what you are just... you a priest? No, a but philosopher. I will, I will say this though: uh, we were very sorry to lose doctor, or doctor, Father Bill Bear. Well, you're all over the map here. I, I am, I, I am. But th- there was a, a priest that he was a very young priest, but he's a very good priest. Yeah, a uh, Bill Bear, and he was a fan of Garage Logic. Well, then I'm sorry we lost him. We, we just lost him. He was so funny. In fact, he was having lunch at Salou. Yeah. One day. Yeah. Uh, with a group of people, and I went up to him and I said, "Father Bear, I I got to talk to you. I I have having a little trouble with uh, Commandment number eleven and twelve. And he said, "There's only ten. I said, "Then we really need to talk. And he thought that was very funny. That was. A- uh, Pretty yeah. good, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> There's only uh, 10. I said, I may have invented I, no, two. I got it. I got may it. have invented two more. I got it. <laughs> At least in uh, Kentucky. What were the two that you invented? Well, uh, you know, that's priest, uh, you know, that's, that's the confidential. That's that lawyer yeah. confidentiality yeah. thing. Yeah. You know what, Joe? That's uh, that's two minutes of your life you ain't getting back. No. Nope. <laughs> that's what Father Bear said to me as well, yeah. <laughs> Did he die at Salu? No, no, I just recently oh, learned that he well, I, I mean, just recently learned that he died, oh. but I'm not sure why yet. <laughs> yeah, he ate the gumbo. Why why would he yeah. die? Hey. Well, it made it sound like you. Ah. Police in Kentucky arrested a plastic <laughs> surgeon on the street after a hospital received a report that the fella showed up to do surgery drunk. Ah. Dr. Theodore Gersel was arrested on a charge of public intoxication Monday of this week. Aim for the one in the middle. The chief medical officer at Baptist Health Lexington spoke to Gersel after getting the report. Gersel left the hospital on foot and the police were called. Gersel was arrested not far from the hospital. The doctor was scheduled to perform one procedure Monday, had not started it when the allegation was made. A spokesperson for the hospital said in a statement, the incident is being investigated. That spokesman also said patient safety is always our number one concern. Gersel's privileges at the hospital have been suspended during this investigation. Hey, I got some, God says, I got some rules for you. And they, they, they said, how much are they? You're interrupting. They're and free. You're using a voice. And they say, we'll take 10. Yeah. Remember that joke? I do. I do. Hey, I got to talk about Catholic United here. Here's Dave Dahl. Thank you, Joe. We're at 24 degrees. Jumped up 4 degrees in the last hour, or 3 degrees in the last hour. Should make it up to 26 
for the afternoon high. 18 for the low tonight, so uh, mostly clear skies, not as cool. Sunshine and warmer tomorrow should get close to 36 degrees. And then up to 40 on Friday with partly cloudy skies through the end of the week. Then the clouds start to increase and maybe even some fog by Saturday. Fog and low clouds, some light snow or freezing drizzle possible by Saturday night. 36 for the high, though, on Saturday. Then Sunday, accumulating snow. It looks pretty likely that we're going to get significant snow out of this over southern Minnesota, about the southern half of the state into western Wisconsin. And uh, then lingering snow on Monday. Monday's high, 26. It drops to 23 Tuesday. And then 18 for the high a week from today as it turns a little bit colder. Right now it's 24, Joe, and I have the records for the day. Jan 17. 44 on this date. 44. 1894. 1894. 26 below. 26 below. In 1967. In 1967. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Farmers are so tough. How tough are they? A farmer has been forced to ride his motorbike holding his head upright by his hair after falling and breaking his neck. What? Uh, look where this is. I, I can't figure out where this is. West Gippsland, G-I-P-P-S-L-A-N-D, one word. G-I-P-P-S-L-A-N-D, probably somewhere in the United Kingdom. The 73-year-old was reportedly checking his farm for grasshoppers. Australia. Oh, it's in Australia. Down okay. under. Just mm-hmm. uh, just outside of Melbourne. The 73-year-old was reportedly checking his farm for grasshoppers early December when he hit a small hollow and went sailing over his handlebars, landing on his head and breaking his neck. A friend of the man told radio station 3AW the farmer rode 500 meters to his house to get help after realizing he was still alive. The beef farmer, identified only as Jim, told the station he cracked his head but wasn't knocked out. I got to my feet. I knew there was something really wrong. He said my head wouldn't stay up, so I just held it up by my hair. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. He was taken first to the Dandenong Hospital, then transferred to the Austin, where doctors confirmed he had fractured the top two vertebrae, C1 and C2. He had a halo and four bolts in his skull, but doctors expected him to make a full recovery. I'm a lucky fella, he said. That's got to hurt, mate. And another story here to break your heart. Why? Because I know you live for these. Food-based? Oh, it's better than you could buy a lot of food for this one. Nobody expects to find a Rembrandt sitting under the ping-pong table in the basement. (laughs) So the Landau brothers, natives of Teaneck, New Jersey, felt perfectly comfortable skipping their own estate auction. Uh, apparently what happened is uh, uh, back when Ned, Roger, and Stephen Landau's grandparents died, their mom cleared out their house, keeping some items that might go well in her dining room, like a silver tea set and a couple of old paintings. Okay. Mom died in 2010, and the three sons repeated the drill. They cleared stuff out. Yep. We had a garage sale, but there were a few things like the china and silver looked nice, and we thought, well, we don't really want to just give them away. Ned uh, told the... Uh, apparently, Fox Business News has a okay. show about this. And there was a uh, one item that, again, made the final cut was a small painting that had always creeped out Ned Landau. It was of a woman passed out in a chair and two men trying to revive her. As a kid, I thought, why do we have a painting like that in our dining room? He right. said. Mom's nice stuff went into Roger's basement, though the boxes made it hard to play ping pong. Roger procrastinated. procrastinated Another four years before before calling the estate guy up, 
uh, John Nye. Nye valued the silver pieces at a couple of thousand bucks and each of the three paintings at a few hundred. Like Ned, Nye was not impressed by the picture of the men reviving the woman with smelling salts. It had varnish that had cracked and a paint loss, not a beautiful painting, and the people in the picture were not beautiful people. Hmm. It was remarkably unremarkable. The appraisal sounded about right to the Landau brothers. Uh, Stephen thought, if you get me, you know, a few hundred bucks, I'll be happy. Uh, there wasn't going to be much to phone home about anyway. It seemed the silver fetched a little more than expected, and a couple of paintings got a little less. As for the unappetizing portrait of their in their dining room, the bidding started at two hundred and fifty bucks, and worked up to eight hundred dollar high estimate. Then a phone bidder from France made clear he was in it to win. All of a sudden, it's five grand, and man, this happened in no time. Said night when a caller from Germany answered every bid by the Frenchman, the price blew past eighty grand, then a hundred thousand. Everyone started creeping back into the sales room, and the bidding just kept going. Yeah. Recalls Nye's wife, Nancy, who was on the phone to France while her colleague, Amy Ludlow, handled the Germans. Eventually, we're at four hundred and fifty grand. And I said, would you like to bid, Ludlow recalls. He said, yes, I bid. Only after the French buyer scared him off with a $1.1 million winning bid, did Ludlow's German bidder explain what was going on? He said, Amy, it's a Rembrandt. I've been looking for this painting my whole adult life. What? It would take a little longer before the Landau brothers learned about their strange inheritance. Uh, maybe one or two days after Yom Kippur, I returned John's call, said Roger. I asked, so how did the auction go? And he said, well, it went pretty well. <laughs> the painting turned out to be one of Rembrandt's earliest works, part of a lost series of the five senses from the early 1600s. It appears that Landau's grandfather had unknowingly purchased the sense of smell oh. from an equally clueless seller at an estate auction before the Depression. That's your story. Absolutely crazy. Which is why you never give up. Never. Never. You never. Every time I see any of those paintings at a flea market, anything like that, I I don't even know what I'm looking for. Well, I I mean, I I don't know all the paintings. If I had seen this painting, I probably would not have been smart enough to think, I wonder if I should have this checked out. Uh, My wife is pretty good. She's got an art background. Yeah, but so she might be able to ID that, that kind know, of stuff. I, you know, what I'm banking on is that frog that chews water. I, I want to take that to... Uh, <laughs> Antiques Roadshow? I want to take that to Antiques Antique. Roadshow. You have the original box? No. Remember, Lou Campbell no. from Duluth wants you to have the original box. And I, I buy the concept. I, uh, I, I understand completely that the original box of any item would uh, greatly add to its value. But Probably no, basically double your money. Uh, it just goes to show you, though... If you could pick up a few, see, pick up a few of them at uh, garage sales, and then you hang them on the wall when you got the hot, crazy matrix date. Right, right. See? that's a wall she, B. That's you need wall a B, B. wall. B wall. A, see, but this would have been hung up on the B wall, and she would have ended up cutting up and throwing wine on a $1.1 million Rembrandt. Right. Well, the, this guy's kids have played ping pong around it, apparently at his house. Yeah, it was on the basement, under the ping pong table. The moldy basement. Mm-hmm. Just a moment, please. You cannot stop him. He'll just make a move. Joe Suchere. 
Here, I'm just reading about a guy uh, named Jeff Price, 67 years old in England. He has the world's largest collection of toy buses. Toy buses? Yeah, he's had to clear out three rooms in his house to make room for them. But you know what's key? I noticed in the photograph. What? The original boxes. Got to have the boxes. Mm-hmm. We learned that as uh, as collectors. I uh, haven't been outside, but I bet it's going to feel remarkable compared to the last three weeks. Looking out the window, you can see uh, snow melting if it's in the direct sun. Uh, yeah, we did have a heat wave though last week. Monday and Tuesday was uh, very short lived. Not a heat wave, but a bit of a January thaw, and now we're in store you for want more. Heat of wave a thaw. again? Now? Is no, that what you're... no, no, no. Uh, no local teams in action tonight, is there? Staff, anyone? I do not believe there are any local Staff, teams. Staff, anyone? Nothing. Nope. Uh, Wilder on their nothing. holiday. Uh, yeah, Wilder on the mandatory five game. Uh, Gophers uh, basketball are at Maryland tomorrow. Timberwolves are at Houston tomorrow. The Vikings are at Philadelphia on Sunday. I am feeling it. I'm feeling it. I know you are. I think. I think it's a. Uh, uh, that victory uh, Sunday over the Saints is gonna is lasted all week, and now we'll uh, we'll start to build up again tomorrow, and uh, the festivities will be even more extraordinary gotcha. as we head into the weekend. Uh, I'm ready. Patrick is joining us from. Uh, He's from the Fort stadium. Myers. Yeah, from his studio. He's from the ballpark. He does not broadcast from his estate. No, no. he no. broadcasts from the uh, from the ballpark. Mm-hmm. It sounds very quiet there today. Fifteen hundred ESPN is KSTP St. Paul Minneapolis. It's twenty four clear blue skies. Bluebird getting warmer.